Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, but, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. What a day in the world of sports. What a couple of days we've had. Good grief. The news that has come out, both from a local level and a national level, of course, today, two dare I say, bombshells in the world of sports. Number one, Pete Carroll, no longer going to be the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Probably the end for Pete Carroll in the coaching community. One of only three men to ever have both a Super Bowl trophy and a national championship as a head coach, joining Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer. So uh, what a story that is. But then, of course, the big one a couple hours ago, Nick Saban, 290-plus victories in the world of college football, seven-time national champion as he is set to retire in a move that you want to talk about shaking up the world of college football. I'm not sure how many things would do that in January, in the middle of January. This is one of them. This is a big, big story, and it's a big, big deal. And when you know it, we do a big deal of the night, which we'll get to in just a moment. We will do a lot on the Jacksonville Jaguars tonight as well. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts joins me every week here on Hacker After Dark. He's going to be up in less than 20 minutes. I will tell you this, Cecil had some interesting comments When I talked to him earlier regarding Trevor Lawrence, regarding Calvin Ridley following the team's 1-5 and collapse to end the year and miss the playoffs. So former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts, less than 20 minutes away. Also my buddy Mark Long of the Associated Press. You guys know Mark doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. So looking forward to that conversation coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. But it's all Nick Saban right now to kick it off. Every night on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Yeah, I don't know if you could get a bigger deal in the world of college football than the retirement of Nick Saban, one of, if not the greatest college football coach that has ever lived. You stack him up against anybody, and he will go down as one of, if not the greatest college football coaches of all time. 
when you look at most wins in the history of college football at the head coach position, Joe Paterno, 409. Bobby Bowden, 357. This is, of course, Division One. Bear Bryant, 323. You go to Pop Warner at 311. And there's Nick Saban at 295, I believe. It's either 295 or 296. But he is inside the top 10 for wins. He has the most national championships at seven. Remember, he passed Bear Bryant, who has six. Uh, 28 years on the sideline as a head football coach. I mean, what do you say about Nick Saban? He is the GOAT. He will go down to me as the greatest college football coach we've ever had. All due respect to Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno. They're certainly in the conversation, but you win seven national championships. One at LSU, obviously six at Alabama. And the stat I told Ballou earlier, Adam Schefter sent this out. What a stat. At Alabama, Nick Saban had 44 guys drafted in the first round of the NFL draft during his tenure. He only lost 29 games. 44 first-round selections, only 29 losses during his time as the Alabama head football coach. But one thing that I think needs to be brought up, and we'll, we'll get to... Will it be Lane Kiffin, right? Will it be Dabo Sweeney? Dan Lanning? If you're Alabama, do you call Kirby? I don't think Kirby would leave his alma mater, but obviously Kirby was at Alabama. Do you call him? I've seen Mike Norvell. His name has popped up this evening. Obviously a hot young coach in the world of college football. One would think, though, Lane Kiffin, Dabo Sweeney, remember, that's Dabo's alma mater. Uh, Those would be the first two calls you would expect. But we'll see. That Alabama coaching tree is ridiculous. Will they stick to that or will they go outside that? Obviously, it might be the greatest job in college football. It's not going to be hard to find applicants for that job. One of the things I told Baloo and one of the things I was thinking about coming in, and I'm going to link college basketball to this, we're in a different world now in collegiate athletics, right? Obviously, I'm not breaking any news there. The realignment, conferences dissolving, like the Pac-12 just dissolving, going away, transfer portal, NIL, And it was a couple of years ago where college basketball, it looked like the old guard, the founding fathers, if you will, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, Jay Wright, Jim Boeheim, the legends of the game, the guys that had been at their respective schools or been in the coaching community for decades, all seemed to get out at about the same time. Why is that? Oh, I do think NIL. I do think the transfer portal. I do think all the newness in collegiate athletics may have, I don't know if forced is the right word, but may have jumped the gun 
on getting those guys to leave the profession maybe a little sooner than they envisioned. And I wonder if that's similar for Nick Saban. Now, we don't know that, obviously. Based on things I've seen, people I've talked to out in the state of Alabama this evening, this caught almost everybody off guard to an extent. But you do wonder, with all the things that are going on in collegiate athletics now, if Nick Saban had just simply had enough. You know, it's not just about coaching anymore. And it's not just about recruiting high school kids anymore. It's all this other stuff. Whether you're a college basketball legend like Coach K or Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, or like you're a college football legend like Nick Saban, maybe it's just enough. I don't want to do this. This is not what I know. This is not what I've done for decades. I'm done. Because you look at the longest tenured collegiate coaches now, it is becoming a young man's profession both college basketball and college football. There are not a lot of guys 60 years age or older in college football or in college basketball. There just aren't. A lot of guys in their 30s, a ton of guys in their 40s, a fair amount in their 50s, but not many 60 years of age or older. And is that a coincidence? with all the NIL transfer portal stuff coming out now? Or is there something to that? I'm of the opinion that there might be something to that. It's not a sad day in the world of college football. Obviously, it's a time to celebrate Nick Saban going into retirement. There will never be another college football coach that will win seven national championships. I, I can't imagine that. It took Nick Saban 40 years, right, to catch the bear. Um, If another college football coach wins seven titles, I will be stunned. And there's a very good chance that all of us listening right now will probably not be here anyway if that happens. It'll take decades, decades for anybody to get close to that number. And then you look in the world of the NFL today and Pete Carroll, no longer the head coach in Seattle. That was one of the biggest stories before this Nick Saban news. Pete Carroll, one of only three guys that has a national championship as a college football coach and a Lombardi trophy. Obviously won the national title at Southern Cal, the Lombardi trophy with the Seattle Seahawks. He'll be in Canton, Ohio. There's no doubt about that. Terrific coach. And talking to people in Seattle this afternoon, it's kind of catching them out of left field. In fact, Pete Carroll, as recently as last week, said that he thought that he wanted to keep going. You know what I think that is? I think Seattle thinks that Dan Quinn is going to get hired this offseason by somebody, and they want Dan Quinn. The former defensive coordinator out there, former D.C. at Florida, we're familiar with him. Obviously, he's been with the Dallas Cowboys as of late. Had all sorts of head coaching interviews last year. 
has been lining up head coaching interviews this process as well. Seattle probably figures Pete Carroll only had a year left anyway. So instead of firing him or whatever, they're going to let him stay in the organization as a consultant, let him go out on his terms, but it allows them, to me, to bring Dan Quinn back out there. I would be very, very surprised if Dan Quinn is not the next head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Remember, he's had two different stints out there. He obviously loves that area. His family loves that area. He's a hot commodity among coordinators. It makes all the sense in the world. And if you're Seattle, and if you knew Pete Carroll probably only had a year left, and you were worried that Dan Quinn was going to get a job this cycle, you get Pete Carroll to step aside a year early to allow you to bring in Dan Quinn. So there you go. There's a ton of going on, and I haven't, I'm 12 minutes into the program. I haven't even mentioned the news here in Jacksonville. Jacksonville reportedly put in a request for Averro, the D.C. from Carolina. Good young coach. People like him. Was he 37, 38 years old? Carolina blocked that request, and the way that goes down is very simple. You cannot make a lateral move without getting that team's permission. Averro is the D.C. in Carolina. Being the D.C. in Jacksonville would obviously be a lateral move. Carolina has the option to block you, and they did. Now, Carolina currently does not have a head football coach. Remember, they fired Frank Reich. So who knows what Avera's standing is going to be if that new staff is brought in, when they're brought in, will he be retained there, will he be made available? We'll see. But for the here and now, Jacksonville's been blocked. Wink Martindale of the New York Giants has been officially let go out of his contract. He is available. I know people were talking about him down here, the former Giants D.C., spent time in Baltimore as well. Leslie Frazier, I know a lot of people were talking about him. He's actually interviewing for the head coaching job with the L.A. Chargers. I know a lot of Jaguar fans, at least on social media, have thrown out the name Leslie Frazier. I'm very curious to see what Jacksonville does. You're hearing a lot of guys. You're hearing Leslie Frazier, Averro from Carolina, Ron Rivera, although I don't know if Rivera is going to want to jump back in. We'll see. Obviously, Jacksonville's got to put together an entirely new defensive staff. They fired their coordinator, Mike Caldwell. They fired seven other defensive assistant coaches. So it is basically a complete rebuild on the defensive side of the ball with that coaching staff. Also, Jaguar-related, I put this up on my Twitter page, or X, whatever they call it now, my social media page, earlier tonight. Boy, if you go on there, it's all venom towards Press Taylor and Trent Balky. Those appear to be the two guys that you, Jaguar fans, are going after. I don't even think you were all that upset with Mike Caldwell, the guy that's already been fired. I think he was third in your order when you consider he along with Press Taylor and Trent Balky. 
So I just put a poll up just for the heck of it. Who do you blame for the Jaguar collapse at the end of the 2023 season? Trent Baalke, Press Taylor, or someone else? 475 of you have voted. It's a decent sample size. You can go to at Ryan Green 1010XL if you want to give your opinion. But of the 475 votes that have already come in, 72% of you blame Trent Balky. 21% Press Taylor, 7% someone else. Are we really doing this again with Balky? Are we here again two years after the clown movement? Seems like we are. We'll do more of this as the week goes on later on tonight. We'll also do a little bit tomorrow. And we'll really look at Trent Baalke. My thoughts on Baalke are very simple. I think he's done an adequate job in free agency. Because if you're going to kill him for the bad moves, well, then you got to give him credit for Christian Kirk, for Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, right? Foye Aluakin. Those are four home runs, are they not, in free agency? When a lot of you didn't want those guys, those to me are four home runs. Those are check marks in the Trent Balky column. I understand that some of you listening right now don't want to give Balky credit for anything. But in the interest of fairness, because I know you Jaguar fans, you are more than fair. You're sophisticated human beings, right? So if you're going to be fair about it, Check mark for Kirk, check mark for Ingram, check mark for Jones, check mark for Lewican. And then I think there are some guys that have done some good things, maybe not as good as we would have hoped. Roy Robertson Harris, Rayshon Jenkins, Foley Fadakasi, Brandon Sheriff, right? Have they been great? No. Have they been terrible? No. They've been all right. Maybe slightly above average, some slightly below average, but all in all, I'd put them in the okay column for free agents. Where Balky has lost me is in the draft. He's been bad in the draft. Bad. We'll go over some of his draft classes, but just know this. The last three third-round picks, the last time I checked in, Mark, a third-round pick is a pretty big pick. It's an important pick. Luke Fortner, Chad Muma, and Tank Bigsby. That is bad, ladies and gentlemen. And I like all of those guys. Chad Muma is an interesting case study because there's no reason they should have drafted him. They already drafted Devin Lloyd in round one. Why would you take a guy that plays the same position in round three? You talk, and this is not an anti-Chad Muma. You completely wasted a third-round pick taking a guy that you already drafted a guy in that position two rounds earlier in Devin Lloyd. Tank Bigsby? You got to wait a little bit. You know, jury's still out there, but he was not good his rookie year. Britton Strange, same thing. I think Strange had more holding penalties than he did catches in 2023. I wouldn't call that decent value for a second-round selection. Luke Fortner was the first pick in round three in 2022. I would say that's probably a bad pick right now. But again, you guys are coming after Balky two years after the clown movement. I guess we're doing it again. 
So if you're going to do it again, I'll dive in with you. I'll dive into the deep water with you, and we'll have a Trent Balky conversation later on tonight, certainly tomorrow and Friday here on Hacker After Dark, and we'll get into it. I'll be fair. I've defended Balky to an extent, but I'll hear you out. But again, go vote at Ryan Green 1010XL. 475 of you have voted. 72% say Trent Balky. Much more the problem than Press Taylor. We'll see. 641-1010 is the phone number on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up next, my buddy, former Jaguar wide receiver, Cecil Shorts. Cecil uh, is with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. I love talking football with Cecil. And I will tell you this. Cecil's got some comments about some guys on this Jaguar football team after this collapse to end the year that I think you will find very interesting. And that conversation is next on a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the all-pro roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season has come to an end, losing five of their last six games and what you could argue is the biggest late-season collapse in the history of the franchise. We're all asking the question, what happened this week for that? Let me go to my friend Cecil Shorts. You hear him every week here on Hacker After Dark, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cecil, how you doing? I'm well, brother. I'm well. How about you, man? Cecil, we're good. And let me ask you a very simple question, and then you take it from there. In your opinion, what happened? This is crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words because I, I kind of assume they were just going to whip on Tennessee. Like I, I watched Tennessee, I watched Tennessee get their butt pounded against Houston the week before, and I'm like, Jacksonville do the same thing. They're at the very least a playoff team. They'll be fine. They'll win. They'll and they'll move on. But they look almost shook at times. Um, Tennessee came ready to play, no doubt about it. Vrabel had them boys ready to play and try to ruin their hopes, and that's what they did. They came out there ready to play, and Jacksonville didn't look like they were ready at all. They kind of it looked like they felt like Tennessee was going to lay down and let them beat them. Um, but when Tennessee was fighting back, they didn't know what to do. And you can't have inconsistent play from your quarterback. Uh, he's supposed to be your franchise guy. You can't have inconsistent play from somebody that you drafted number one overall from somebody that you expect to lead you to a Super Bowl. That's what franchise quarterbacks do. They put you in that situation. You can't have that. You can't have your defense giving up tons of rushing yards. You can't let a, uh, even though he was a starter, a guy named Ryan Tannehill go out there and, and, and deplete your secondary. Like you, you can't let that type of stuff happen. Um, it was very hard to watch. Um, it's kind of the complete opposite of what happened last year where you struggled the first half of the year and the second half of the year you came on. And this year it seemed like it was the complete opposite. Eight and three start, and then at the end of the year you just deplete and complete destruct. Um, it was hard to watch, um, and it was very disappointing to see Jacksonville go out that way. See, so you're the perfect guy to ask. That's why we love having you on. Seven years in the National Football League, as a wide receiver, fans here are fuming at offensive coordinator Press Taylor. Is that um, 
an issue in your opinion? Do they have a right to be upset with the offensive coordinator? They have a right. They have a right. There was some questionable calls. Um, but at the same time, even though you might not agree with every single thing he did, there were still guys open throughout that second half of the season. There were still opportunities there to execute in that second half of the season. So if you're going to get on Press Taylor, you got to get on Trevor Lawrence. Like, you got to, you have to get on Trevor Lawrence. Like, that's just my opinion. Like, you cannot say, oh, this is all the OC's fault. No, Trevor's missing guys. Trevor didn't play well. The second half of the year, he did not play up to what he's supposed to play. He's number one overall. His third, was his third year, Ryan? Yeah, year three. Like, this is supposed to be his breakout, come out part. Like, there's no excuse. I'm sorry. So you can put some blame on Taylor. I, that, that's fine. But there better be some talk about that quarterback number 16 back there. He needs to play better. That's just what it is. And I, in my opinion, he was battling injuries. It's very similar to Jalen Hurts. Battling some injuries, trying to play through it, and either they're forcing things or um, just missing guys, not playing loose, not playing like themselves. But he has to fix it. That's just what it is. You invested a lot into him. He was supposed to be the next coming of Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> and so far, he has not been that way. He's shown moments. He's shown moments. But it's like, if you're going to blame the OC, you have to blame number 16 as well. It's not just one person, in my opinion. I think it's a group of guys that need to be uh, need to do better next year. Do I think you should fire Taylor? No, I, I don't. I don't. I think that they need to regroup, get Trevor healthy, and, and attack it. But um, there is no blaming one out the other, in my opinion. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts, and it goes to show you, you could have the best skill position players ever, wide receiver, tight end, running back, quarterback. Offensive line, man, the offensive line was awful, and they can't run the ball. The middle three, guard, center, guard, at this point, I think you need three new guys in there, honestly. Um, they have got to improve that line, Cecil, this offseason. Probably number one priority uh, when it comes to offense. Um, like, you have to go out there either in free agency or the draft or whatever you have to do to to fix your offensive line. That, that's, where it stand, that's where it starts and ends. That's probably the most important position on the field besides quarterback because you got to protect your quarterback. you got to protect Trevor. He has to be upright. He can't take hits. He cannot be continuing to get injured. Um, you can't have those self-inflicted wounds, miscommunication. You just can't have that from offensive line. Um, and they just seemed like they were not – I mean, some the run game, oh, my gosh. It was. It just seemed like it was not there at certain games. It just wasn't there at all. No matter who's running the ball, no matter what play was called, you could have had Don Schuler back there calling. It was nothing was going to be open because that front line was not making holes. Um, so they got to find their identity up front. You have to find what you want to do. Do you want to be a zone scheme? Do you want to be a gap scheme? Like, what do you want to do? Keep that identity and then find players to make that identity work. Um, you can't have guys that cannot do the scheme you want to do, right? You have to do what your players do well. Um, so this offseason, they have to figure out the right players in the right spots. And the O-line is definitely number one on that priority list for sure. Cecil, they've fired 10 coaches since Sunday, including defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. Now, in your experience in the league, is that conversations that Doug Peterson has had with guys on the defensive side of the ball? They basically blew out the entire defensive staff. Does he get feedback from the guys on the defensive side of the ball, or is that Doug Peterson's decision and his decision alone? You know what? I, I think that's a it's a – 
as a head coach, number one, when you have a collapse like this, just going to be honest, you got to blame somebody. That, that, that's just what it is. When you have a collapse like this, when you're losing games, I've been a part of a few losing seasons in Jacksonville. There's always fingers pointed at every single body they can. It's always a passing of the baton. Oh, it's his fault, his fault, his fault, their fault. So you got to blame it on somebody. Um, I do think there was communication from player to coach on the defensive side about what needs to be fixed. That's just what a good coach does, communicate with their players. And I think it's things that he saw that he wanted differently personally from his time as a head coach in Philly, his time as a head coach here. He's like, okay, these are the things I wanted. It didn't happen. I got to make these changes. Um, now, do I think they're the scapegoat? I don't think they should be looked at as, as that because I think at one point in time when they were 8-3, and three, the defense was a really good part of the team. The defense was probably holding things down early on in the year, and the offense was trying to catch up. Um, so I don't think they are the scapegoat. You can only blame the defense. I think as a whole, offense, defense, special teams, they have to do better. And the collapse was not just one side of the ball. Now, this is what Doug would decide to do, because his preference, what he wants in his locker room, which is fair, he can do what he wants. But uh, let's not sit here and blame the defense or do that. Let, as a collective, we didn't play good enough, period. That's what it is. The Jacksonville Jaguars did not play good enough to win one single game at the end of the year to get into the playoffs, let alone the other uh, four or five they lost in that process of going eight and three. So um, after going eight and three. So it's definitely something that, in my opinion, Doug sat down and he saw over time what he didn't like and made the decision. A couple of more for former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Short. Cecil in the postgame locker room on Sunday. Andrew Wingard, one of the captains on this team essentially said that there was not a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. I assume he was referencing the defense. When a player comes out and says something like that publicly, is he basically insinuating that guys were freelancing and doing their own thing out there? Absolutely. Guys weren't following the play. Guys weren't um, being team players. Guys were, uh, like you said, freelancing, doing what they want to do, making their own calls, um, which is a problem. And it shows – it shows why they made a change in the defensive room. Because if they if the guys are going out there and they feel comfortable enough to make their own decisions and go against what the DC is saying, that's saying that they have no respect in the DC. Um, if 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 this is what is going on, right? They have no respect with the DC. They can care less what the other team what they're calling. I'm gonna do my own thing, and that is not good for your culture. You got to get those guys out of there. So it makes sense if if that's what's going on. Right. If that's the case, guys, freelancing, not doing their assignments, not studying, not being in the right spot at the right time, not doing the right stunt, not doing the right cross, whatever the case may be, it makes sense. Um, but I, I'm not in the locker room. You are more than me. So that that, that may be hearsay. Should he, uh, he say she say, but it's just it's just turmoil right now. And when you have turmoil um, and you have this collapse at the end of the year, you're going to hear fingers being pointed. Boom, boom, boom. The best thing Doug can do is get a new staff in there as far as the defense and get everybody on the same page and try to rebuild this, not rebuild, but restart this thing next year because right now it's just a hot mess. You know, Cecil Shorts here with us. Jaguar fans, as you can imagine, are upset. We in the media, you know, we're trying to put the pieces back together. The players have started vacation, right? They cleaned out their lockers on Monday. This was arguably the biggest late-season collapse in the history of the franchise. Will this stick with the guys for a while, or will this be easily forgotten once they're on the beach somewhere? No, you're hurt. You're, you're disappointed, especially when the playoff games start rolling. Ryan, you started off 8-3. and three. People were talking about Super Bowl and 
number one seed and home field advantage and all types of stuff. You were on Monday night, Sunday night, Thursday night. You were overseas playing. Like, you had this huge run the beginning of the year. Like, it was a big deal. Oh, Jacksonville's here. They're all over ESPN and first take. And you guys are in this Jacksonville media was kind of upset. They're not giving them enough credit or they're not talking enough about them. Like, they're playing really well. And then you collapse. That's something you're going to remember. That's something that's going to hurt. That's something that's, that's going to piss you off. Because you're going to watch these games and like, man, Houston is there? With a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach and a rookie offensive coordinator with a bunch of young guys on the team. Yeah, three got three teams in the there. AFC playoffs this weekend. The Jaguars beat Pittsburgh, Freaking Buffalo, Pittsburgh and Houston. Is there? Yeah. Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh? Who you went to, Heinz Field, and kicked they behind? Like, they should be pissed off. Like, it, it's, it's ridiculous that this happened. I'm sorry, because the expectation was high. It was high. So if you're playing in that locker room, they, they should be they are extremely disappointed. And if they're not, they don't need to be back on the team next year. That's just what it is. We'll obviously talk a lot this offseason, free agency, uh, things along those lines. You know, a quick thought, though. One of the big questions is Calvin Ridley. You obviously being a former NFL wide receiver, you watched Ridley all season. He's probably going to want big money with good reason. It's the way of doing business in the NFL do you want Calvin Ridley back on the Jaguars next year? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure I'm willing to pay that price for what he gave uh, for what his product was this year. So at the right price, I, I wouldn't mind bringing him back, but I'm not paying him number one receiver type money because I think he's not a number one receiver. I think he's a compliment to a number one. I think he's a good number two. That's what I think he is. So if you can go out and get somebody else or you just run with what you have, those guys stay healthy with Zay Jones and, and Evan Ingram and uh, uh, Christian Kirk and those guys. I might just run with those guys and, and bring up and bring Parker Washington along or whatever the case may be. But I'm not sold he's a number one guy, so I'm not going to give him number one guy money, right? If I, look, if, I, if I look at the number one guys, there's no doubt about it, right? There's Jamar Chase. There's Justin Jefferson. There's there's Mike Evans. There's Stephon Diggs. There's Tyreek Hill. There's no question they're number ones. So you have to question if really is a number one, then you don't pay him one number one money. That's just what it is. So in my mind, if for the right price, he can come back and be a compliment, but he's not going to be my number one my number one guy. So I'll be very uh, hesitant to sign him back. Calvin Ridley is a free agent. Josh Allen is a free agent. One would expect a franchise tag for Josh Allen. I don't think he's going anywhere. Cecil, your former team, the Houston Texans, well, they are playing. They are the AFC South champion. You're out in Houston. I can only imagine what that city is like getting ready for wild card weekend with the Cleveland Browns rolling in. It's it's crazy. Um, they were kind of in a win and you end situation with uh, the Colts sat last Saturday night and they came through first play of the game through a bomb and Nico Collins and they got things rolling, end up winning that game um, in a good battle. But nobody thought that the Texans would host the game. Literally, everybody assumed this, this was the feeling. Everybody was assuming that Jacksonville would beat Tennessee because Tennessee laid down for Houston last week. Like They laid down. like They were like, uh, they looked like they didn't want to be here. They kind of checked out, and, and Houston kind of ran with it. We just assumed, the Houston community assumed, hey, Tennessee, this, they're, they're checked out. You know, Vrabel might be gone, uh, whatever the case may be, with some things in the house going on. Um, so when that happened, the city exploded. When Jacksonville lost, the city exploded. We get to host a home game. They were they were 
I mean, elated is not even the word. They happy. I can whatever excited. Also, they were they were they are thrilled right now because they are way ahead of schedule, and you have a young quarterback in C.J. Stroud who's lighting the world up, um, and everybody believes in him in that locker room. And D'Amico Ryan's doing a heck of a job of leading this team, so the excitement is there now. They got a tough, tough, tough opponent, and uh, and the Cleveland Browns who have probably the best defense in the league. Um, it's going to be tough for C.J. and company to accomplish some things on that on that offensive side against them but we'll see what happens we'll see what happens that all, all you want is an opportunity right all you want is a chance just get in there and nothing's won on paper you got to go in the field and win it so Houston's pretty excited right now you know final question see so we're trying to get excited about the playoffs that's going to be tough to watch Cleveland and Houston knowing that should be Jacksonville but what do you think does Houston get it done or does the uh Cinderella story if you will end on uh Saturday it's going to be tough, man. It's, it's going to be tough for them to beat uh, the Cleveland Browns. I think they're an overall good team. I think Flacco is perfect for what they have going on. He's a veteran. Matter of fact, Flacco is 6-0 in wildcard games and 5-0 in first-round games. Like, he just gets it, right? He understands how to win in January and February. He's a Super Bowl champion. And what he's doing right now with the Cleveland Browns is simple. He's finding an open guy. It just makes it easy. Hand the ball off and then find an open receiver. And, as they, and the Browns are getting healthy on the offensive line. The offensive line's coming back. They kind of were hurt uh, towards the end of the year or middle of the, middle of the end of the year in the offensive lines. They had like three, four guys shuffling around, four, four, a fourth-string center, a third-string right guard. But um, now they got those guys coming back, so that run game is going to be there, which is one of the best when they were healthy. So it's going to be hard to beat Flacco and company, man. So I, I think I think the Browns get it in a, in a close one. Um, now, if, they, if, if the Browns mess around and – uh, have a turnover here and there, and keep CJ and them close. Then uh, it's gonna be a dog fight because CJ's gonna play. Um, he he, his influence is crazy on that on that Houston team. Like he brings so much hope, um, especially as a rookie. I've never seen nothing like this from a rookie to bring a, a one particular person to bring so much hope to a city to a team. Um, but if they can keep it close, CJ and them will fight. But I think the Browns take it. Cecil, sixty seconds. I just thought of this. If I were to tell you a month ago, you played for three teams in the NFL. The Texans, the Buccaneers, and the Jaguars. If I were to tell you a month ago, heck, if I were to tell you two weeks ago that the Jaguars would be the team not in the playoffs and that Tampa and Houston would be, I bet you would have been shocked, right? <laughs> I wouldn't have bet that <laughs> for nothing, man. No, no way I would have thought that. No way. It just it just made it just I mean, if you look at the ESPN like uh playoff predictors and the percentages it was like 90%, 80% for Jacksonville. So it, it is – I wouldn't have guessed that at all, man. It's just hard to see and understand how they collapsed this way. Uh, it's just terrible. Hopefully they can bounce back next year and get things right, but it was just it's just frustrating to watch, honestly. We're trying to pick up the pieces, no question about it. Let's enjoy Super Wild Card Weekend, Cecil. Let's do it again next week, and by next week we might have some answers on some of these Jaguar questions. Appreciate you, my friend. Hey, no problem, anytime. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. On the doorstep of the 9 o'clock hour, glad you're with us, 1010XL 92.5 FM. Mark Long of the Associated Press coming up to talk Jaguars, where we go from here, what on earth happened. You know, Mark will speak his mind. He joins us in about 10 minutes or so. At the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, we will go to Nashville, Mike Vrabel fired yesterday as head coach of the Tennessee Titans. 
My buddy Tyler Rowland is the host of the Locked On Titans podcast. I want to ask about Sunday, right? Remember that? 72 hours ago and change when Tennessee ruined Jacksonville's season? That thing was only three days ago. Doesn't it feel like forever? What did that win do for the Titans organization? And look, uh, not much in regards to Mike Vrabel, right? That was the shocker of shockers yesterday. Until today, we find out Pete Carroll is no longer going to be the head coach in Seattle. And in the college game, Nick Saban retiring. Probably going down as the greatest college football coach of all time. Doesn't have the most wins. Did not have the most longevity. That certainly goes to Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden. But 295 wins for Nick Saban. Seven national championships. Again, I don't think anybody will ever do that with where we are in today's day and age in college football. I go back to what I said, though, in hour number one. Think about college basketball. Think about Mike Krzyzewski. Think about Roy Williams. Think about Jay Wright. Think about Jim Beheim. Those guys got out all pretty close to one another. Coincidence that we're now with NIL and Transfer Portal and all this new stuff going on in collegiate athletics. Now, all of a sudden, Nick Saban is out. State of Alabama, this, they can't believe it. This caught so many people off guard. Denmark, what was the story you were telling me? Eli Drinkowitz, the head coach of Missouri, was on a Zoom conference call with Nick Saban at 10 a.m. this morning, and he was talking about the future of the SEC. Yeah, that was on a radio. He was he was on a radio interview when the news broke, and that's what he said. Wow. I know Nick Saban was talking to potential coaching candidates for assistant positions yesterday. So I don't know if more will come out about this. It just seems pretty shocking that on a Wednesday afternoon at 5.30 Eastern Standard Time, Nick Saban says, I'm done. Did something trigger that? I don't know. But I do think this NIL and this transfer portal and everything that's going on now in college athletics is it a situation where the old guard just doesn't want to deal with it? It's becoming too much. Not only do you have to coach on the field, not only do you have to recruit high school kids, you got to keep your current guys happy or they'll enter the portal. You got to keep your locker room happy amidst guys making hundreds of thousands of dollars over here and guys over there not making anything. It is a different world in college athletics than what we've ever seen before. And maybe that is affecting some of the guys that just say, I'm done, I want out. No more, no moss. Regardless of why, the bottom line is Nick Saban is the GOAT of college football head coaches. He will be celebrated, he will be missed. The question is, what does Alabama do now? You're hearing all the names, right? You're hearing Lane Kiffin. You're hearing Dabo Sweeney. Do they call Kirby Smart? Although I don't think Kirby would leave Georgia. Do you at least call him? Remember, he was a coordinator at Alabama. I've even seen Mike Norvell's name on a couple of lists. Obviously, one of the hot young guys, Dan Lanning at Oregon. 
the Washington head coach. Who knows what Alabama does? That'll be a conversation for later on in the week. The conversation tonight is Nick Saban, the best of all time, calling it a career after seven national championships. One hour down, one hour to go, Jacksonville. We are with you until 10 o'clock. We are glad you're with us here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up next, back in to the Jacksonville Jaguars. How? Why? What happened? And where do we go from here? Mark Long of the Associated Press joins me next Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season remarkably is over from 8-3 and three to the lockers being cleaned out earlier this week. And now we pick up the pieces, figure out how to correct this football team. And there is certainly a lot of directions that need to be drawn because there is a lot wrong right now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. With that, let me go to my buddy Mark Long of the Associated Press. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mark, how we doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Hacker. How are you? Mark, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. I know you were down at the Miller Electric Center earlier this week. Players cleaning out the lockers, coach holding his final press conference. Probably a surreal feeling, right? I mean, how did this happen? How did we get here? Six weeks ago, the Jaguars were the number one seed in the AFC for a few hours, and just like that, the season's over. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the worst late-season collapse in franchise history. It's like nothing we've witnessed. You can blame, certainly can blame injuries as part of it and turnovers and not enough takeaways and not enough sacks and defensive lapses all you want. I mean, the reality is they weren't good enough. They ran it back. That's, this is the thing that, that strikes me. They, they were a little arrogant hacker. They sat there on their mountaintop after winning, after beating the chargers and with an epic comeback and, you know, having their chances against Kansas city coming up short, and then they just ran it back. They, they didn't improve where they needed to improve. They didn't improve on the offensive line. They didn't improve on the defensive line. They didn't improve the defensive secondary. They really didn't improve the running back situation. So all of a sudden they run it back. Now they got a first place schedule and they finished nine and eight again. And yeah, they were sitting there at six and at eight and three looking like they were going to be you know, potentially a one seed, maybe a two seed in the in the AFC, and and it all falls apart. Uh, it's but uh, to me, it's more about more than the injuries and the mistakes and that. It's the arrogance of sitting there after last year and needing what did they what was it? Let's let's go to Baltimore, Dallas, uh, the Raiders, and the Chargers. Four pretty significant comebacks to get to what ten and ten and 10 and 9, 10 and 8. To get to 10 and 8 on the season, 10 and 10 and 9, right? Yeah, they finished 10 and 9 when you count the postseason. Yeah, 10 and 9. To get to 10 and 9, they needed four epic comebacks. And then you basically just thought you're going to run it back and just because everybody's a year older and another year in the system that you're going to be better? That's not smart thinking. That is – that's that's egotistical and arrogant, and they got burned because of it, because they weren't a much better football team in year two. And when they didn't weren't getting the takeaways that they got early, 
the defense showed what it was. And all of a sudden, a few injuries on offense. Trevor obviously being a, a big one. Christian Kirk being another one. Offensive line, no continuity up there. All of a sudden, you saw what they were, which is a very average football team that's now lost ground in the AFC South. We thought this was a team that looked like it could build a dynasty in the division. Now you probably go into the 2024 season thinking, are they the third best team in the league behind Houston and Indy? Because you could certainly make that case because Indy had its chances to beat Houston in that game last week. So uh, that's where we're standing. It's, it's been pretty epic for sure on a lot of levels. And then obviously we saw the fallout, uh, you know, the other day. Yeah, Mike Caldwell getting sent packing. We'll talk about that in a moment. Again, Mark Long of the Associated Press here with us on 1010XL. And you mentioned the arrogance, and I think that's a good word because, Mark, during training camp, you, I, D-Rock, you know, the assorted media that was down there for a majority of training camp, we could see it plain as day. Outside of Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, they had nobody that was going to affect the opposing quarterback. And yet every time you asked about it or Duraco asked about it or whomever, we kept hearing, well, the young guys are going to develop. The young guys are going to develop. And that was nonsense, right? I mean, if guys like us knew that, then why didn't the guy that they're paying millions of dollars to to be the GM realize that? Or was it, like you said, was it arrogance? Well, it's staggering. And I don't know that they – they were arrogant about it for sure. But they at least acknowledged it because they brought in – Jadavian Clowney. They brought in Yannick Ngakwe. They brought in, there was one more. Somebody else visited. Oh, Clayus Campbell. And I think one more. They, they, these guys visited the facility. So they brought these guys in thinking, okay, maybe we'll add this guy, or maybe at least this guy can be an option down the road. Well, all those guys signed. Kyle Van Noy and Jadavian Clowney were available in, in July. They both signed with the Ravens and are having had standout years. So that part is is baffling. I do think the Devon Hamilton injury was was a big one because I don't think the guy was the same the rest of the year. Even when he came back, they ended up, you know, basically benching him after he came back, and then he came back again a second time. Played a little bit better down the stretch, but certainly not the guy they thought they were signing a big deal when they signed him in the off season. That you know they thought this was the future of their, the middle of their defensive front, a guy who could be a penetrating three technique, you know, a little bit of a nose tackle, and it just didn't work out. So, you know, I'd give them a little bit of a pass on that, but the reality is you still sit there with Juan Smoot coming off an Achilles injury and Caleb on chase on, who's done nothing for three years, and you're counting on those guys to be significant backups. If they would have had an injury to Josh Allen or – or Trayvon Walker, they would have been cooked up front. Those guys were fantastic. They combined for 27 and a half sacks, a number of quarterback pressures, you know, good tacklers. They were really good in the run game. Those guys are legit. That's why of all the assistants, Bill Shuey, their position coach, you know, saved his job. And I think he was the only defensive guy who did. Mark Long of the Associated Press. Let's get there. Mike Caldwell fired as the defensive coordinator, the most of the staff, as you mentioned, on the defensive side, gone as well. Your reaction when you heard that Monday night? I, I was surprised in the scope of it. I was not surprised that 
Doug Peterson fired assistants. I thought he needed to fire assistants. It was not, they did not progress like anybody had thought. I think he could have justified making moves on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe he will. Maybe yesterday was a defensive analysis and today will be offensive. But they were not good. But when you look at the final five games of the season, the final five games of the season they lost, Mike Caldwell's units allowed 29.2 points a game and 147 yards a game on the ground rushing. So you can't win football games like that. And I, I think Peterson looked at his team and said, the problems on offense are fixable with the coaches we have because it's turnovers, false starts, offensive line continuity, injuries to Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. That stuff is all fixable. And then you look at the defense, and it's like, well, they had the majority of their guys for the majority of the season. Cisco missed a few games. Tyson Campbell was up and down all season. But everybody else, with the mention of, with the exception of Devon Hamilton, we mentioned everybody else was there and available all year. So, and then when it mattered most, they no show, complete no show at Tennessee on the defensive side of the ball. Got run over by Derrick Henry, a guy who had averaged about 45 yards a game his previous five. So that's where they're at. So, and then the other thing is there was some infighting from what I am. I've been told they weren't fighting on the offensive side of the ball and on defense of the ball players and coaches weren't getting along coaches and coaches weren't getting along. So what you do, you react by doing a complete clean sweep and you, you pin it all on Caldwell and you go from there. Well, you kind of got that vibe too. Was it Dewey Wingard, I believe in the post game in Tennessee who basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here and I have the exact quote, but there was not a lot of assignment football being played down the stretch. I mean, Mark, the way I interpret that is guys on defense might have been freelancing a little bit. I mean, that's certainly a problem. Oh, yeah, big time. And you you saw it on Derrick Henry's long touchdown run. Just go back. Anybody listening, go back and find that clip and watch, and watch um, Devin Lloyd on that play. It's embarrassing how they've set the edge. They've got backside pressure. Devin Lloyd is is the seek and destroy on that play. All he's got to do is go tackle. He's running free, and he picks the wrong gap to try to find Derrick Henry. And, again, we're not talking about 22-year-old Derrick Henry who can cut on a dime. We're talking about darn near 30-year-old Derrick Henry who's probably going to get cut in the offseason. This is not the same guy, and he, and he just completely whiffs on it. And that was problematic. problematic for their entire season. And, and I, you know, Doug summed it up two things that really stood out about what Doug said. He said that three hours Sunday was a microcosm for the season. They had issues on both sides of the ball, could not run it, could not tackle anybody. And then the other thing he said was, you know, talking to Shad, talking to Trent, their window is now they don't, this is not, they're not in rebuild mode. They're not in five years from now, we're going to have a really good team mode. They're looking at this, and they go, it is – our window is now. It is right this second, and we got to take advantage of it because they understand that they got a quarterback on a rookie deal, and that's not going to last forever. It gives them a couple years of breathing, breathing room here where they can spend some money, you know, max out some contracts elsewhere, and get a team capable of, of winning the whole thing, and now they can't even make the playoffs couple of more from Mark Long of the Associated Press. So Mike Caldwell shown the door. Um, let's save Press Taylor for a moment. Let's get to Trevor. Obviously, that's a big topic in the city, the struggles of Trevor Lawrence. The injuries certainly played a part in that. 
the offensive line, how abysmal they were, uh, played a part in that too. But, Mark, you cover this team every day, man. You've been around them for years. Where are you with Trevor Lawrence going into this offseason? Yeah, he's not what we thought he was. That's that's where I'm at with it. We we were we were sold generational quarterback. We were sold this is going to be Andrew Luck who made three straight Pro Bowls right out of the gate before injuries caught up to him. We thought that was going to be Trevor Lawrence, and it's it's nowhere near that. And it's like it's the silly mistakes. It's the the bad throws in crunch time. It's some of the you know the not so smart decisions in terms of you know, reaching out for the first down, I get it, but it's a 30 to nothing ball game, right? Against Tampa Bay where he's reaching out and he, and he injures his shoulder. He shouldn't have been in the game. I'll say this about his injuries, Hacker, just as a little side note, at least three of them are, are coaching malpractice. First off, the very first one, he shouldn't have been in that. He shouldn't have been, he should not have, that was an awful play call. Third and seven, you're up 14 points. Indy at home, three minutes left in the game, and instead of just handing the ball off and kicking a field goal, they got play action, naked boot, with his back to a blitzing defender. Trevor gets hurt. Well, again, run the ball, kick the field goal, game over. 17, go up 17. That's it. Go back. He should never have been in the game against Baltimore. They're getting they're getting crushed, and he's in the game, and he, you know, and he gets waylaid for a concussion. They should have never been in the game against Tampa Bay. Late in the third quarter, it's 30 to nothing. It's not working. Get the guy out of the game. He's your star quarterback, your franchise quarterback. Give him a break. And the other one was Cincinnati. And I, I think that one was Parker Washington, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Parker uh, Washington maybe didn't see the audible, and then the Walker Little exactly. you know, stepped on him, and right? Walker Little steps on him. So it's like, and that's, you know, you don't have your guy ready. Don't put a guy out there if he's not ready. Parker Washington clearly wasn't ready. A sixth-round draft pick and a rookie who was coming off an injury, he wasn't ready. And they that's coaching malpractice. All four of them are coaching malpractices that, you know, Trevor could probably sue the Jags if he wanted to for what they did to him this season. So I do think some of that is, you know, not on Trevor, but there have been plenty of times where we've seen Trevor – do some Trevor things that are, that are just head scratchers. And you're going, what was he thinking? What was he doing? And, you know, you can blame the communication. There's a lot of, seems like there's a lot of communication issues. Well, communication is a two way street. We all know that you and I are both married and uh, you know, that can't all, it's, it's not always on the receivers to, to be able to read Trevor's mind. So Trevor needs to do a better job of communicating with his receivers, it's just like the, the fourth down play call. Trevor audibles to a quarterback keeper, but he doesn't tell his center and his guard. So therefore, all of a sudden, he's got a pulling guard that leaves a free defender coming out of leaping quarterback trying to get to the end zone. It just doesn't make sense, some of the stuff that he's doing. So I will say, you know, year two, we thought it would be better. Year three, it has to be better on the offensive side of the ball. And I wouldn't pay Trevor Lawrence right now. I would make him come back and play one more year and then pay him. I don't know what they'll do. They might pay him. They probably could pay him. They can justify paying him, but I don't think I would right now. Final moment. I think it's, I think it sends a bad message because you're not going to pay Cisco. You're not going to pay Campbell. 
You're not going to, you know, there's a lot of guys you need to pay. You're not going to pay. I don't understand why, why you would pay Trevor right now and potentially upset that locker room. Yeah, that's a good point. Certainly Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, some of the main questions going in. We'll have you back on prior to free agency to really dive into that. Final moments with Mark Long of the Associated Press. And that gets us to Press Taylor, right? Doug Peterson's not going anywhere, nor do I think he should. Yet the fan base, I don't think they're satisfied with Mike Caldwell. And truthfully, of the three, Balky, Taylor, Caldwell, I think Caldwell was third on the list for a majority <laughs> of the fans. Balky's not going anywhere. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. But what about Press Taylor? What, listening to Doug Peterson on Monday, man, that was a nice nice security blanket for Press Taylor, it sounded like. Yeah, I, I thought for sure my take away from that was he praised Press Taylor, not going to fire him. He praised Luke Fortner, not going to move on from Luke Fortner at center. He praised Calvin Ridley, so I think he's going to want him back and probably had the biggest praise for – for, Tra- or for Josh Allen, and that's obviously a guy they need back. They got to get back. So, you know, from that standpoint, you can read between the lines. It's pretty evident that those four guys will be back in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, he didn't praise Mike Caldwell, and, you know, he didn't praise any of the defensive assistants, and all of a sudden, you know, they're shown the door hours, if not minutes, after his season-ending wrap-up. Yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be a crazy offseason quickly because the franchise tag will come up before free agency in March. That's a no-brainer, right? You tag Josh Allen? No, I don't think it's a no-brainer. Here's what I think. I think it is a no-brainer that you have to use it on Josh Allen if you get to that point. But I think what you're trying to do right now, the Ridley it is interesting because, it, real quick, Ridley is a sec- – you're giving up a second or a third-round pick for Ridley. If you sign him before the franchise tag, you give up a second-round pick. They don't want to give up a second-round pick. They want to give up a third-round pick, which would mean they could tag him and give up a third-round pick. So you want to tag Ridley, but to be able to tag Ridley, you've got to sign Josh before the tag. And you don't get – it's not like you can tag Josh and then sign Josh and then use the tag on Ridley. You get one tag per year. So they got to use the tag wisely here. They might have to use it on Josh, but my guess is you back up the Brinks truck, you pay Josh Allen as soon as you can, right now, tomorrow, two weeks from now, whenever, and then you use that the franchise tag on Ridley, the 1,000-yard receiver, and you keep him in the mix for at least another year. Wow, that's crazy. That's really interesting, too. And you think of the other free agents, Ezra Cleveland, Trey Herndon. There's some other decisions that need to be made, no question about it. Mark Long of the Associated Press. Mark, I know you're busy this week, man. Thank you so much for the time. Let's do it again right around the combine, and let's see where they stand heading in to free agency. Appreciate you, brother. No problem. Thanks, Hacker. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Just an absolutely wild day in the world of sports. Pete Carroll no longer the head coach of Seattle. Nick Saban retiring at the University of Alabama. Never mind the fact Mike Vrabel was fired in Tennessee yesterday. Good grief, man. We're going to go to Nashville coming up here in less than 10 minutes. Tyler Rowland, 
host of the Locked On Titans podcast. What about Tennessee? Why did Mike Vrabel get fired? After beating Jacksonville on Sunday, what happened? Is Mike Vrabel destined to go to the New England Patriots if they want to part ways with Bill Belichick? What is Rand Carthon, the former Gator, the current general manager with the Titans? What direction are they going to go? Certainly something to keep an eye on here in Jacksonville. They are your arch rival. They did knock you out of the playoffs. And what did that win on Sunday do for the Titan franchise? Derrick Henry. Looks like he's played his final game in Nashville. All of that coming up with Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast, in less than 10 minutes. Interesting night in college basketball. UCF in Orlando tonight knocks off number three, Kansas. Again, UCF now a member of the Big 12. That is a conference win for UCF over the Kansas Jayhawks. Speaking of college basketball, Florida and Ole Miss in Oxford. Right now, the Gators coming off a heartbreaker to Kentucky. They lost 87-85 over the weekend. Early stages, they're up 18-16 on Ole Miss midway through the first half as Todd Golden and the Gators look to get their first conference win of the year. Certainly more on the Jaguars as the week goes on. And it's, by the way, it's worth noting, we haven't talked any about that. There are playoff games this weekend. It is super wild card weekend. Are we going to be mentally recovered enough from the Jaguars' biggest collapse in franchise history to actually enjoy some NFL playoff football beginning on Saturday? Good slate of games. We'll get more into it tomorrow and Friday night, but there has been so much going on here that I don't even know where to begin with the NFL playoffs, but we will dive in a little bit. Big storylines in each of the games, certainly. Matt Stafford returns to Detroit. Joe Flacco versus C.J. Stroud. Green Bay and Dallas, what else needs to be said? Philadelphia and Miami are in free fall. Can they go on the road and win? Can Pittsburgh give Buffalo problems? It's a nice slate of games. It just sucks because Jacksonville should be playing this week. And, of course, due to the biggest collapse in franchise history, they are not. That biggest collapse was finished off by the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee knocked off Jacksonville on Sunday, and then, lo and behold, 48 hours later, they fired Mike Vrabel. What went into that decision? And where do the Titans go from here in the AFC South? Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked on Titans podcast, is next. A Wednesday night in Jacksonville, and we're glad you're with us. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Well, the Jaguar season is over after a loss last Sunday in Nashville. The Jaguars losing five of their last six. You know, it's interesting when you have guys on, buddies from around the league, you talk to them, and you don't think you're going to talk to them again for a few months. And that was the case last week with my friend Tyler Rowland, the host of the Locked On Titans podcast. But good heavens, how much has happened not only here in Jacksonville, 
but certainly up in Nashville in the last couple of days. Let's head back up to Nashville and get Tyler rolling on here on 1010XL. Tyler, how we doing? Yeah, uh, doing fantastic. I mean, obviously, it's been a, a crazy end of the season for both of us, but, hey, that's the NFL, man. It's why it's the best thing in the world. Tyler, you guys had a crazy news with Mike Vrabel, which we'll get to in a moment. But going back to Sunday, which seems like a month ago, but it was only a couple of days ago. Um, what did that win do for the Titan fan base, the city, completely altering the Jaguar franchise? The Jaguars have fired 10 coaches, including their defensive coordinator, and I can tell you things are not good here right now after that loss to Tennessee. Well, I think it, 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 obviously there's an element of not just pro sports, but sports in general that is just – petty i want to beat you i want to make you sad and that's just the way that works you add in the division rivalry between the titans and the jaguars i mean obviously the feeling in tennessee is good take that that's our payback that's the get back you did it to us last year when we were seven and three and you made us fall at the end on a big losing streak jacksonville had a terrible end of the season and the titans just got their revenge that's really all it comes down to and and seeing all the upheaval and all the Really, really disaster talk that's coming from Jacksonville at the end of the day, for better or for worse, it does warm the belly of Tennessee Titans fans. I mean, and, and that's just the way that pro sports works. I'm sure Jack's fans were very happy to rip that away from the Titans and see their downfall last year. So, uh, again, it just shows you NFL stands for not for long. People thought Jacksonville were about to go on this incredible run and take over the division for 10 years with a Super Bowl winning coach and Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, things can turn pretty pretty quickly so I, I think uh, uh titans fans are definitely happy to give that payback and jeffrey simmons and derrick henry were in the locker room saying that get back is a you know something i can't say on radio so at, at the end of the day that's that's just the nature of sports you want to beat your rivals you want to get revenge and and that's what the titans did and um you know at, at the end of the day that's what it's all about right if that was it for ryan Tannehill and derrick henry and titan uniforms what a way to go out for both. Yep. It, listening to Derrick Henry, Tyler, address the crowd there on the field and then in the postgame mm -hmm. presser, you can almost say the same thing about Tannehill. It did mm -hmm. feel like the end. You're right there, you know, on the scene. Does it feel like the end for them? Oh, well, with the Mike Vrabel news, it is absolutely over. That whole era of Tennessee Titans football with Mike Vrabel and Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and punch you in the nose, get you in the phone booth, drag you in the mud. That, that era is done now, and I think it was going to be done whether Mike Vrabel was back or not. I think that's why Derrick Henry grabbed a microphone and addressed the team like he knew it was over. It was always going to be done for Tannehill, but I think Derrick Henry knows now, hey, look at what Tajay Spears is doing. Hey, look at the way that running backs are treated around the NFL. The odds are that this general manager who came from San Francisco is not going to pay me what I want to be paid to come back here. So uh, I think for Henry and Tannehill, the writing was on the wall all along, and they knew it, and they acted like they knew it. And I think with Mike Rabel being gone now, it literally just hammers the nail into the coffin that, yep, that whole run for the Titans is over. But if we're honest, Ryan, that run began to die. You know, they died on Sunday. It officially died. The funeral happened. But they were diagnosed with a terminal disease the day that they traded A.J. Brown. So from that moment on, it was pretty obvious that this run was over and it took the Titans probably a little too long 
to accept that this run is over, and I think that might be why Mike Vrabel is no longer the head coach. Tyler Rowland is the host of the Locked On Titans podcast. He's here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Tyler, you and I were texting um, the day it happened that Vrabel was dismissed. I was mm-hmm. shocked. Now, I know there was right. a lot of talk about it, but but from afar, competing against Mike Vrabel the way the Jaguars mm-hmm. have, I love that guy. I love everything <laughs> about Mike Vrabel, and for him to be fired – um, caught me out of left field. What was the take from you and the people up there? Well, there are two different takes in that answer. Uh, in Nashville, with a lot of the local media and a lot of the fan base, it was chicken little, the sky is falling. This is a disaster. The franchise will be set back 10 years. They just got rid of a great head coach, blah, 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 all of that. My take was good. It's time to modernize. I mean, six or three of Mike Vrabel's six seasons, the Titans had – 27th or lower or lower in scoring in the NFL. It's an offensive league. Offense gets you a ticket into the dance. You also look at some of the terrible coaching hires and some of the loyalty to some bad coaches. The Titans had Todd Downing as their offensive coordinator for two seasons. I mean, Craig Ackerman, the Titans special teams coach who got fired mid-season, he's been with the Titans the entire Mike Vrabel era, and the Titans have never had a good special teams unit. And they lost multiple games this year on special teams blunders, whether it be blocked punts, whether it be the best punter in the NFL, Ryan Stonehouse, getting hurt on a blocked punt, which led to a different holder, which led to missed extra points, which led to losses. I mean, there are direct things that you can go back to Mike Vrabel and say your loyalty to bad football coaches hurt this team and cost this team. You add in the overall philosophy of Mike Vrabel of three yards in a cloud of dust, that man said third and manageable more than he said his own children's names. Does Mike Vrabel know you can get a first down on first and second down? Does he uh, does he understand that you don't have to play for third and short? There are other things to do. So you add in Mike Vrabel's overall archaic approach to offensive football. You add in the bad hires. And this team has lost a bunch of players who are contributors around the NFL who have gone on to play a lot better and be a lot healthier other places because Mike Vrabel simply doesn't value what they bring to the table. This man had the Titans' first-round pick, Traylon Burks, playing kickoff coverage last year in his rookie year. Their number one tight end, Chickaconqua, went over 500 yards this year and just made the Jaguars' defense look stupid on Sunday. He had him on punt coverage team. Like, he just coaches football like he's in varsity blues, and he has that tough, rough, gruff, manly vibe that, you know, plays to a lot of football fans. A lot of people like that manly, masculine vibe that Mike Vrabel exudes and presents. And I get that, and I have continued to say, Mike Vrabel is a good football coach, but he's not a great football coach. He's not Bill Belichick. He's not Mike Tomlin. He's not John Harbaugh, and he certainly is not God. So the Titans need to find a a new good coach, and it's hard to find good coaches. But everyone acting like Mike Vrabel didn't have his faults and didn't deserve to be fired after six seasons – I think it's just a little performative. He definitely has a a lot of downfalls to his style. And it's funny, some of the people in the national media who were going to bat for Mike Vrabel yesterday were the same people criticizing Mike Vrabel heavily when the Titans were good, calling them flukes, and then when the Titans were bad, pointing out the same things that I'm pointing out now. A couple more for Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. I love that perspective. It's a different perspective than one that I've heard, certainly. Tyler mm-hmm. Rand Carthon is a guy we're familiar with, former Florida Gator. He's the GM, mm-hmm. obviously, there in Nashville. It was year number one for him. 
Did he and Vrabel get along? They're saying everything correct publicly, at least Carthon did yesterday, but do you feel that they did have a genuine good relationship? Uh, I don't know that if it was genuinely good. Now, I'm not going to sit here and and pretend like I know exactly that, you know, they got along, they didn't get along. I think it's more nuanced than that, Ryan. People say there's division in the front office and all that. I don't think it. I don't think it's a situation where Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon are seeing each other in the morning and giving each other the bird like I hate you, man. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if Rand Carthon says, "Hey, we need to trade Derrick Henry. We need to trade Denico Autry. We need to stack the roster with dra- or stack the cupboards with draft picks and assets so that we can flip this team quickly." Uh, I want to go with Tajay Spears. I want to go with the young players. And Mike Vrabel was like, no, we need to go get DeAndre Hopkins. We need to keep Kevin Byard. We need to try to win as many games as possible. Then it may not be I dislike you man-to-man and we don't get along, but there's just a philosophical difference in what we want to see. And honestly, when you look at what the owner said yesterday, Amy Adams-Strunk, and you look at some of the rumors that have come out, it was about organizational structure. So I think rather everyone's made it, does Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel like each other? I think it's certainly possible that they get in a room and say, okay, we'll draft this guy, okay, we'll sign this guy, and they walk out of that room with a general agreement. I think the bigger issue was Mike Vrabel wanted someone above Rand Carthon. Mike Vrabel wanted the Titans to hire a director of football operations to be Rand Carthon's boss, and I think a lot of that is I don't like what Rand Carthon's doing. I want somebody that I can go to to go over his head so that I don't have to do what he tells me. Like, it just seems so obvious that Mike Vrabel just wanted to exude power and wanted more control over everything. So he wanted someone installed that would allow him to go over Rand Carthon's head. And at the end of the day, you say you know Rand Carthon. Rand Carthon came from Los Angeles with the Rams. He came from San Francisco directly before that. Two of the most modern, forward-thinking, data-influenced front offices in the NFL. Before Rand Carthon was hired, the Titans were ranked last in the NFL multiple years in a row in data analytics use. So the Titans are trying to modernize their process and go from being a mom-and-pop shop to a corporate America business. And they're just trying to modernize how they do football. And at the end of the day, Vrabel was rowing against that. He does not believe in the analytics movement. He does not believe in a modern offense. He just doesn't believe in those things. He wants to run it like that 2000 Patriots, good defense, great run game, third and short, third and manageable all the time, close games. And if you look around the NFL, there are just better ways to do it. There are more modern ways to do it. And if you look at what Rand Carthon has done in his first year, I don't see how anybody can go with Mike Vrabel off back-to-back double-digit losing seasons over a guy like Rand Carthon who brought in Will Levis, Tajay Spears, Peter Skaronsky, was able to bring in DeAndre Hopkins on a good contract, was able to get some good pieces for this rock, traded away Kevin Byard when everybody said it was dumb, and now Eagles fans think Kevin Byard is a trash can. So it looks like pretty good value in that trade for Rand Carthon. He added Nick Folk, the best kicker the Titans have had, found Chris Hubbard to add to the offensive line, who was one of the better offensive tackles. I mean, if you go through all of Rand Carthon's moves, he has made some excellent decisions and made some excellent additions to this roster. So I just think it's crazy that the national media and even Titans fans are rowing against the modernization of their mom-and-pop organization. The Titans do not do things or haven't done things in the past with a modern flair. They've been doing it an old-school way for so long, and the owner is like, wow, look at all these teams around the NFL who are doing a bunch of stuff that I'm not doing. Maybe we should do that stuff. And if Mike Vrabel isn't okay with that, then sayonara. 
Final moments, Tyler Rowland, the Locked On Titans podcast. I want to ask you about potential candidates, but and maybe this is more for guys like us in the media, but I mm-hmm. thought what Amy Adams Strunk, the owner of the Titans, did yesterday was kind of weak. She did a five-minute fluff piece on the Titans website mm-hmm. answering layups from Mike Keith, the play-by-play guy, and then mm-hmm. she throws Rand Carthon into that press conference <laughs> where, right. I mean, it wasn't his job to fire Mike Vrabel, yet he's getting – pelted with questions right I just thought I don't know what your take is I thought that was kind of weak on her part you know what Ryan that's probably fair um and and I'll be honest uh I if I'm a billionaire I I'm probably not gonna do anything different either you know they, they have fu money as you would say and it did put Rand in a bad position but that's what the money's for <laughs> you know you get paid to not only be the GM but to go out there for the billionaire and take the bullets you're the shield that's it so would I have loved Amy Adams Strunk to go out there and face the music and answer questions from the media and get real answers? Rand Carthon's press conference was terrible, too. They gave us no answers about anything. And But I don't want to act like what they give to the public means that those are the real answers and they're directionless behind the scenes just because they didn't tell us what they think. Also, I'd like to point out that Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, he went out there and faced the music and answered questions from the media. Is his fan base any more happy today? Are they any more satisfied with his answers? No. Everyone's still just as pissed off at Arthur Blank and the Atlanta Falcons community as they were before he spoke. So the reality is the mob wanted blood. Rand Carthon was professional and didn't give them the blood that they wanted. And no matter what Amy Adams Trunk did or said, everyone would have been pissed off that Mike Vrabel was fired yesterday no matter what. So at the end of the day, I just don't think it really makes a difference, even if I'm not disagreeing with you that publicly, from a public relations standpoint, it does look pretty weak. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Absolutely. All right, finally, we got about 90 seconds. I know who you want by following you on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Bob DeSloic, the offensive coordinator from Houston, he has a relationship with Carthon. Is he the guy mm-hmm. to beat for this job? What are some other candidates, do you believe? I think Slowick is a perfect fit. Father was a former defensive coordinator in the NFL, currently defensive coach in the CFL. Slowick was a defensive quality control coach. He knows both sides of the ball. And not only do you hire an offensive whiz for your young quarterback, but you steal him away from the team that just won the division and their rookie quarterback. So it hurts your enemy. It helps you um, outside of him. Ben Johnson from the Lions. Everybody knows about his name at this point. My thing is the Titans need to hire an offensive coach because the problem is with a defensive coach, if you find a good offensive coordinator for your young quarterback and the offensive coordinator is any good, he's going to get hired to be a head coach himself. So the only way to create real stability and real structure for the long term in the NFL is to have an offensive coach so that they don't get hired away and you aren't cycling through offensive coordinators year after year after year. So for me, the Titans have to get an offensive coach. It's much easier to replace defensive coordinators. So as long as they do that and they do it now and pair the offensive guy with Will Levis, I think that's a great move for the Titans and they've made an improvement. You can check out Tyler Rowland's Locked On Titans podcast where you get all your podcasts, YouTube, social media, it's everywhere. Tyler, great job, great insight, brother. Really appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. And thank you to Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast, for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. You know, it's interesting how quickly things can change with Jacksonville and Tennessee. That game was just over 72 hours ago. And think about everything that has transpired with both franchises. It is absolutely insane. Big takeaway of the evening. Well, 
The big takeaway is this. The Jaguar fan base is certainly coming after Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator. They are certainly coming after Trent Baalke, the general manager. My take on both guys, as I shared with you earlier, Press Taylor, I think he's okay. Um, injuries destroyed the offense. The offensive line is terrible. That would go more to Trent Baalke, I think, than Press Taylor. Um, I did not like some of the play calls. Obviously, Press Taylor is not without fault. But I do wonder how handicapped he was as far as calling an offense by injuries and by lack of personnel, quite frankly, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, as far as Trent Baalke goes, free agency in his time in Jacksonville, I think, has been above average. I think his drafts have been below average, if not bad. Uh, you add it all up, I would probably give Press Taylor a C, I guess, as an offensive coordinator. Maybe Trent Baalke a C or a C-. minus. I don't think they have failed in their jobs necessarily, but I don't think they have certainly passed with flying colors either. But certainly those two guys, Taylor and Balky, are getting the venom right now of the Jaguar fan base. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Tyler Rowland, host of the Locked On Titans podcast. Appreciate Tyler taking time out to talk about Mike Vrabel being fired yesterday in Nashville and the ramifications of that for the Tennessee Titans. Thank you to Mark Long of the Associated Press as we talk Jaguars and how we got here and, and what's next for this organization heading into the offseason. So really appreciate Mark taking time out for us this evening. And thank you to Cecil Shorts, former Jaguar wide receiver. You get him every week here on Hacker After Dark. I give Cecil credit, man. He didn't mince words when it came to Trevor Lawrence, to Calvin Ridley. If you missed some of his comments, you can go back and listen, 1010XL On Demand. He did not hold back, and that's why we love having Cecil being a part of us here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.